it's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, December 13th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and this is the KVMR Evening News. Up ahead on the California Report. Taking a page from a new Texas abortion law, Governor Gavin Newsom's administration is drafting legislation which would allow private citizens to sue the firearms industry for damages. Then in national native news, after eight months of negotiations, a tribal coalition's redistricting consensus has been discarded at the 11th hour by New Mexico state lawmakers. We'll hear from the California News Report concerning California redistricting before turning our attention to regional headlines and weather to close out our newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We start with a new twist in the battle over gun control, taking a page from a new Texas law that allows private citizens to sue abortion providers. Governor Gavin Newsom says he's ordered his staff to help draft state legislation that would allow people to sue the firearms industry for damages. Under Newsom's proposal, which was tweeted out over the weekend, private citizens would be permitted to sue anyone who manufactures, distributes, or sells an assault weapon or ghost gun kit or parts in the state of California. Plaintiffs could seek up to $10,000 per violation. Newsom says the threat of private lawsuits is the most efficient way to keep devastating weapons off the streets. The governor says he turned to this legal strategy to go after the gun industry after the U.S. Supreme Court allowed a ban on abortions in Texas after six weeks to remain in effect, with enforcement of the ban coming from private citizens filing lawsuits. A landmark California law aimed at lowering prescription drug prices has been put on hold by a federal judge. KQED's health correspondent April Domboski explains the law was meant to prevent drug companies from doing so-called pay-for-delay deals. Here's what typically happens. A drug patent lasts 20 years, and during that time, drug makers can charge whatever they want. When the clock runs out, generic drug makers can step in and compete by charging way less. But drug companies have been using a workaround. They'll offer to pay generic drug makers to hold off on releasing their cheaper versions. It's a win-win. Generic makers get money that they would have made anyway, while the brand name gets more time to charge monopolistic prices. These are known as pay-for-delay deals, and two years ago, California passed a law making them illegal. But now a judge has suspended the law, saying the attempt to regulate the California drug market could have an unfair impact on the drug market in Delaware or other states. He said that would violate the interstate commerce protections in the Constitution. Drug companies celebrated the decision, while state officials said the case is still in its early stages and that they believe the law will ultimately be upheld. For the California Report, I'm April Domboski. Hundreds of criminal cases could be in jeopardy following an investigation by the Los Angeles Times into racist and homophobic text messages sent by several police officers who work or worked for the Torrance Police Department. Torrance is a suburban community of about 145,000 residents in South L.A. County. State Attorney General Rob Bonta has now launched an investigation. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with L.A. Times reporter James Queeley about his investigation. I started looking into this in August when the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office announced criminal charges against two now former Torrance police officers. They had alleged these two men spray painted a swastika in a vehicle that was towed from the scene of a mail theft they responded to. So they charged those officers with conspiracy and vandalism. And during gathering evidence for that case, they found out 
that there was a litany of racist text messages, images shared by those officers and others they were in communication with. So the, the DA's office at the time and the Torrance police made public that there were possibly hundreds of cases jeopardized or under review, that there were a lot more officers involved, and that there was clearly this cache of horrible commentary out there somewhere. But Police Officer Bill of Rights, uh, integrity of that investigation, probably some of the search warrant results are under seal. They weren't making any of that public, so I started trying to figure out how that could happen and was able to, you know, through various means, get access to some of what was said and the names of many of the officers either accused of sending or sharing those messages or under investigation for at least being on those text threads and was able to make that public. Currently, of the 13 officers I named, all of the Torrance police officers that I named in the story either are no longer with the agency. The two that were the subject of that initial criminal investigation left the department in 2020 and the restaurant administrative leave. And we don't have to necessarily go into the the actual texts themselves, but they didn't spare anyone, really. And they were very, very incendiary. Yeah, that it was a wide range of insults. You're talking about memes or images, pictures with captions that would just be vile depictions of possibly, you know, violence against black men or women. There was uh, someone shared instructions on how to tie a noose, a picture of a stuffed animal being lynched inside of the Torrance Police Department's headquarters, or at least that's how it was described to me, was shared. One officer claimed he would be sent to internal affairs and would punch a member of the LGBTQ community if he was forced to work with somebody of that sexual orientation. There were jokes that were anti-Semitic, even made reference to the Holocaust. Nobody was um, exempt from these comments, at least from what I've been able to uh, corroborate. And a number of cases have already been thrown out involving these officers, but they're they're looking at quite a few more, correct? Right. So the Torrance City Attorney's Office has dismissed about 50 misdemeanor cases where these officers either were the arresting officers or would have been a witness. And that is largely because they're unavailable to testify because they're on administrative leave. Additionally, the DA's office has dismissed about 35 felony cases involving these officers. Again, generally speaking, it would be a case where they were a material witness. Say it was a, a, a gun possession arrest and this was the officer who found the weapon. I'm oversimplifying, but that's probably the easiest example. How broad this goes will be a question. I did obtain through public records requests a list of cases for each officer I named in which they were a potential witness. That number of cases is around 1,400. It is not likely that 1,400 cases are about to be dismissed by the DA's office. Those lists don't ne- doesn't necessarily mean the officers testified in those cases, doesn't mean they were necessarily the lead or investigative officer, doesn't mean they were the arresting officer, but a portion of those cases certainly could be at risk as well if as as well if same situation right the officer was a material or critical witness to the case obviously their credibility could be in in uh, serious jeopardy that was james queely who covers crime and policing for the la times james thanks so much for your time today thanks for having me support for the california report comes from real california milk reminding listeners to take three simple steps to recycle gallon milk jugs pour it cap it bin it Learn more at RecycleTheJug.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com. 
and the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health equity. And that's this edition of the California Report for Monday, December 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. And there's a lot of rain and snow in store for much of California this week. So be careful out there. In today's National Native News, a bill introduced recently in the U.S. House of Representatives aims to assist residents of one of the most economically depressed areas of the Navajo Nation. But how long will it take to combat four decades of a nearly complete economic blockade and widespread poverty in an area larger than the state of Delaware? This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. For more than four decades, nearly all economic activity was halted on what was formerly known as the Bennett Freeze Area of the Navajo Nation. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, a bill introduced recently in the U.S. House of Representatives aims to assist residents of one of the most economically depressed areas of the reservation. In 1966, then-Indian Affairs Commissioner Robert Bennett suspended nearly all development in much of the western port portion of the vast Navajo Nation in northern Arizona. It was meant to resolve a land dispute between the Hopi and Navajo Nations, but prevented thousands of residents from even making basic improvements and repairs to their homes. Many there still live without electricity and running water. Almost a decade later, Congress approved the Navajo-Hopi Settlement Act, forcing more than 16,000 people to relocate from their land. The freeze was repealed in 2009 by President Barack Obama, but widespread poverty persists in the area largely than the state of Delaware. The House bill introduced by Arizona Democrat Tom O'Halloran would begin a housing construction and renovation program along with infrastructure improvements and other economic development for the area. It would also allow some families to receive relocation benefits, among other initiatives. Navajo President Jonathan Nez applauded the bill, calling it, quote, a matter of fundamental justice for the Navajo Nation. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff. Federal officials approved renaming a peak in Colorado after a Cheyenne woman leader who helped maintain good relations between white settlers and Native Americans. Colorado Politics reports the peak in Clear Creek County is now Mestahe Mountain. It was the culmination of a four-year effort to remove the name and comes after Interior Secretary Deb Holland from Laguna Pueblo ordered the word squaw removed from all federal lands. Mestahe, also known as Owl Woman, was married to William Bent and also helped negotiate trade among groups at Bent's Fort. It's the first name change recommended by Colorado's Geographic Naming Advisory Board. Governor Jared Polis originally said he would reject the recommendation because it was too hard to pronounce, and thus people would continue using the old name for the mountain. That drew backlash from Native American groups. Polis changed his mind and forwarded the recommendation to the U.S. Geological Survey's Board on Geographic Names. In New Mexico, state lawmakers replaced a redistricting map that a tribal coalition spent months working on to find consensus. Source New Mexico reports a Senate committee voted instead to approve an amended plan redrawing New Mexico Senate's voting districts that was introduced just before the meeting. Senate President Pro Tem Mimi Stewart, a Democrat representing Albuquerque, introduced an amended map that would alter the layout of districts in northwestern New Mexico, where the Navajo Nation and other tribal nations are located. Members of the tribal coalition and elected tribal leaders showed up Sunday to speak against the amended map. They said the changes disrespected tribal autonomy and their hard work. Isaac Dakota Casado is chair of the state's Native American Democratic Caucus. The 11th hour pass that we see today 
without consultation of our Native American tribes is not only a travesty, but it's a, it's a direct violation of much of the work that has been done, not for just today in the last couple of months, but for decades. Tribal coalition members spent eight months meeting among the state's 23 pueblos and tribes to achieve what they called a historic agreement on the maps. They sought to preserve Native American majorities of at least 65 percent in the legislative districts where they are already the majority, while honoring tribal boundaries and distinct communities within each district. The senators noted the map must still be approved by the full Senate, and more debate and changes could still take place. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanaka Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. COVID-19 vaccines are approved for kids aged 5 to 11. Vaccines provide kids strong protection against COVID-19 and help keep communities safe. You can schedule their vaccine appointment today. Support by the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health. Support by the National Indian Child Welfare Association. You can stand with NICWA to protect Native children and keep them connected to their family, community, and culture. Information on NICWA and how you can help at NICWA.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. We've been hearing a lot about redistricting lately. As maps are drawn, which will shape California's direction for the next decade, conservation groups are lobbying to factor in environmental concerns when carving up the state. Up next, California News Service's Suzanne Potter explains more. As the California Citizens Redistricting Commission prepares to decide on the final legislative maps, conservation groups are asking that communities united by environmental concerns be kept together. The idea is to give voters more influence over the people who have the power to address problems such as industrial air pollution, marine oil spills, drought, or wildfire. Samuel Sukatan is with the California Environmental Voters Educational Fund, which recently detailed its concerns in a letter to the commission. One of the things that we're working on is communities that are dependent on specific environmental features, whether that's public lands, major environmental justice concerns like oil refineries, should be kept with those resources so they can determine, by electing their government representatives, what gets done with that region. For example, the Enviro Voters Ed Fund wants to see North Coast districts that keep Native American reservations intact and include the coastal region. And they argue that the initial maps, which combine communities in the Sierras with towns in the San Joaquin Valley, create districts with disparate interests and make it harder to draw Latino-majority districts on the valley floor. Sukatan notes that the maps drawn by the nonpartisan commission will shape California's direction for the next decade. California, with the independent commission, with public testimony, has this unique, powerful opportunity to handle two of the great crises of our time, inequity and the climate crisis. And more democracy is the answer to both. The commission released draft maps a few weeks ago and is taking public comment online and at a series of meetings taking place almost daily. A final vote is expected to take place on December 24th. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. In today's regional news, California has issued a universal indoor mask mandate as COVID-19 cases rise. 
All Californians will be required to wear masks when indoors at public places starting December 15th, health officials announced today, citing an increase in COVID-19 case rates following Thanksgiving. Since Thanksgiving, California has seen its daily COVID-19 case rate rise 47%. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. The first coronavirus case caused by the Omicron variant has been confirmed in El Dorado County, health officials announced Friday evening. The El Dorado County case occurred in a traveler who departed from South Africa in late November. This reported by the Union of Grass Valley. The Union of Grass Valley reports two separate motorcycle accidents on Highway 49 near Little Deer Drive this weekend. On Saturday afternoon, having just left the Nevada County toy run, Christy Hoffmeyer of Rockland and her husband attempted to pass a car which had reportedly slowed due to a deer in the road. California Highway Patrol Officer Jason Bryce said Hoffmeyer and her husband were riding southbound on a 2021 Harley when they collided with the car's left side, which sent the motorcycle across the north lane before it overturned, ejecting both riders. Hoffmeyer's husband broke his arm. Christy Hoffmeyer died. Around 3.45 on Sunday afternoon, Kenneth Mitchell of Nevada City attempted a U-turn on Highway 49 near Little Deer Drive. Quote, he ended up getting hit by a vehicle driving southbound while he made the U-turn, Bice said. Mitchell lost his left leg in the wreck, and a nine-year-old girl riding with him has a broken ankle. Nevada County's final supervisorial district map is set to be adopted at tomorrow's Board of Supervisors meeting, kicking off the countdown to election season. Based on 2020 census data, some minor shifts will occur to reflect population growth and public input. Supervisors will hear a final presentation and vote on the final map at 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday. Once the final map is adopted, candidates for local office could file their petition in lieu of fee as early as January 12th. The County of Nevada Health and Human Services Agency announced in a press release today that renovations on Odyssey House are officially completed. The facility, which provides 24-hour residential support, celebrated its reopening with officials and speakers from Nevada County and Auburn Counseling. The building undertook renovations to expand treatment beds for individuals in need of intensive mental health while preparing to transition to independent living. Renovations were supported through over $3 million in community development block grant funding from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. A quick public health update. Nevada County Public Health reports 48 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. Out of 9,924 cases since the start of the pandemic, 123 are active. Seven people are hospitalized, two in ICU. One additional fatality has been recorded, bringing the death toll to 116 since the start of the pandemic. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight... Rain before 2 a.m., then snow may begin with a low around 31. Breezy with wind gusts as high as 39 miles per hour. Half an inch of snow accumulation is possible. Tomorrow, rain and snow likely mainly before 11 a.m., with a steady temperature around 35. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, snow with heavy snowfall at times and a low around 22. Winds may gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Tomorrow, snow before 10 a.m., then scattered showers with a high near 27. Two to four inches of new snow accumulation is possible. The National Weather Service winter storm warning remains in effect until 10 p.m. Tuesday for the greater Lake Tahoe area. Expect heavy snow and Sierra Ridge winds exceeding 100 miles per hour. Travel could be very difficult to impossible, especially this afternoon and tonight. 
Strong winds could cause extensive tree damage in exposed higher and wildfire burn areas. Whiteout conditions expected, especially during this evening and late tonight. Dangerous boating conditions on Lake Tahoe with two to five foot waves. Avoid travel if possible. If you must travel, prepare for long delays and carry an emergency kit with extra food, water, and clothing. If you stay home, have a backup plan in case of power outages. The Sierra Avalanche Center in Truckee has issued a backcountry avalanche warning for the greater Lake Tahoe region, including central Sierra Nevada mountains, between Yuba Pass Highway 49 on the north and Ebbets Pass Highway 4 on the south. High avalanche danger is expected through Wednesday morning in the mountains. High-intensity snowfall and strong winds are loading new snow onto an already weak snowpack. Both natural avalanches and human-triggered avalanches are expected. Travel in, near, or below avalanche terrain is not recommended and should be avoided. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, rain with a low around 42. Winds could gust as high as 33 miles per hour. Tomorrow, 30% chance of rain before 7 a.m. Cloudy through mid-morning, then gradual clearing with a high near 47. The National Weather Service Wind Advisory remains in effect until 10 p.m. this evening. Gusty winds could blow around unsecured objects. Tree limbs could be blown down and additional local power outages may result. That's our newscast for this Monday, December 13th. If you ever want to listen to something that caught your interest a second time, you can always find our newscast on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying environmentally safe remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com, and Mountain Recreation, locally owned since 2000, offering seasonal outdoor adventure gear and apparel, also rentals, retailing Goal Zero portable power solutions including solar powered generators, East Main Street, Grass Valley, mtnrec.com. Stick around, coming up at 6.30 we have the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director, Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Stay safe out there.